unusual structure. The moon of Mars. Of course I'm going to specify. There's a monolith. We've discovered a base on the back side of the moon. The scientist pulled out one of these mosaics and showed this base. Geometric shapes, there were towers, there were uh, spherical uh, buildings. There were very tall towers and things that looked somewhat like radar dishes. But they were large structures. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Welcome to the Zero Brain Podcast, kids. This is Dave Grave. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 10 from Somebody Else's on the Moon by George Leonard. But as always, before we do any of that shit, the news. All right, so this first news article is from oldthatsinteresting.com. Feral pigs eat and destroy $22 fucking thousand dollars worth of cocaine hidden in an Italian forest. Could you imagine having to deal with that bullshit? You're the fucking gangster who threw all that blow out there in the forest and some Porky the Pig's out there fucking doing all your coke. There's a fucking video online, and uh, it's this farmer who has to get rid of all these feral pigs on his property, and he uses Tannerite, which I believe is legal. And uh, he gets all these pigs next to this bomb. <laughs> They're eating all his food, and then he shoots it a couple of times, and it looks like a goddamn nuclear bomb goes off. One pig goes flying into the air like fucking 60 feet. It's fucking hilarious. And it's like all this bacon's raining down on top of them while they're all laughing and shit. Why am I saying this? It's because pigs are gnarly as fuck. That's right. One of them can fucking kill you. Disembowel your fucking dumbass right where you stand. Tear your guts right out all over the fucking floor. A herd of these bastards? You're a dead man. You have to understand something. If you have to hunt a group of animals with a bomb, it's probably a gnarly goddamn animal. You know how pissed do you think those guys are? I mean, it's not like they got jacked by some dude they can go and blow away. It's a bunch of dumbass pigs in a forest. <laughs> it's time for the Tannerite. Boom. Next article. So, I like to talk about technology on this show. Of That uh, is... It's presented to you in some type of benign format. Like, oh, look at this! But if you look a little deeper, you realize that it's got some sinister fucking applications that nobody really wants to talk about. Perfect case and example. From the amppproproject.com, whatever the fuck. Hologram experts can now create real-life images that move in the air like a 3D printer for light. Yeah, that's true. In the latest work from this team of researchers who has garnered international and national attention three years ago, when they figured out how to draw screenless, free-floating objects in space. It's called an optical trap display, and it's created by trapping a single particle of air with a laser beam, and then moving that particle around, leaving behind a laser-illuminated path that floats in midair like a 3D printer for light. Most 3D displays require you to look at a screen, uh, but their technology allows you to create images floating in space they're not physical, not some mirage. This technology can make it possible to create vibrant animated content that orbits around or crawls on or explodes out of everyday physical objects. 
Do I really need to extrapolate on what this could be used for? Hmm? Anything. You use this on somebody who doesn't know this kind of technology exists, they're going to shit themselves. Anyway, this has been the end of our news broadcast. I'm going to keep it mercifully short so we can get on to the fucking book, which I'm thinking that's probably what you guys wanted. Anyway, so, chapter 10. What's going on in Tycho? Q narrator voice. A late September thunderstorm moved in. We struggled to get the three reflecting and two refracting telescopes inside. It was a simple room in the basement of a church with a long table and several chairs. That was all. Nine restless kids whooping it up, wanting action. Nine kids, 16-year-olds and younger, bright kids who had formed the Young Astronomers League and stuck me with the task of guiding them. In my briefcase... I had 12 copies of the magnificent shot of Tycho taken by the cameras of Orbiter 5 during the summer of 1967. There was also plenty of paper, pencils, and reading glasses. The weather socked in for the evening, I said. Let's vote on what we do. An indoor project or go home. The project I had in mind was complex. I held my breath. But the abilities and the energies of children always amaze me. Nine hands went up. They voted for a project. I have a photo of Tycho for each of you. Remember, it's about 50 miles wide. You know it has the biggest ray system on the moon. Probably it's one of the three most interesting craters on the moon. I'd like you all to imagine you're on a committee. And you're charged with studying the crater and writing a letter to the administrator of NASA, our space agency. But what are we supposed to tell them? Whatever you agree on. What are we supposed to see? You're not supposed to see anything. It's an interesting picture with lots to talk about. If you agree on doing the project, then take the evening to study the picture and you can write the letter next time we meet. Nobody wanted to go home. The four girls and five boys enjoyed being together. They'd studied the rings of Saturn and the moons of Jupiter and knew a lot about our moon. They tore into the project with enthusiasm. Except one boy I'll call Larry. His father was a physicist for the federal government, his mother a chemist in, the, in a different federal agency, in a different agency. Larry liked discovering grape cluster universes in space and other sky wonders. But when the conversation turned to speculation about the two tiny moons of Mars or the bridge in Mare Crisium, he got derisive. Now he was silent not looking at the photo, not jabbering with the others about the sharp detail in it. There was just the faintest touch of a cynical smile on his lips. He caught my eye. My father wants to know if you believe in blonde Venusians giving people rides on flying saucers. The other eight were not listening. They were too busy dividing Tycho into quadrants and assigning two kids to study each one. Not if he means the books by George Adamski and Howard Manger. But it's not important what I believe, Larry. We're trying to get at what you think. I think this is a waste of time. He laughed and looked around for support. Sometimes he was a leader in the group because he was the oldest. But now the others were occupied. He got up. I know what you want us to find. Little green men. Bug-eyed monsters. I gave them up when I was ten. I expected him to leave, but instead he stood in back of two kids examining the photo with a reading glass. I waited for more challenges, but they did not come. Larry wandered around the table, looking for an easy way to enter the group, but failed. 
He sat down at the end of the table with a photo and tried to muster a cynical smile again. I walked to his side. Here's a reading glass, Larry. Who knows what you might find? The picture is interesting. Some very important scientists have. Minutes passed with little talk. The kids who had been assigned the quadrants from 6 to 12 o'clock got restless. Larry, he got up and talked to somebody in a low voice. I could not hear what he said. Soon, 20 more minutes had passed, and soon three kids were clustered around him. They talked excitedly. I walked out of the room to get a drink of water. I stayed by the cooler as long as I could, and when I got back, Larry was sketching something on the blackboard. He told them to concentrate on the 12 to 6 o'clock quadrants. The cynicism was gone from his face. Now there was only curiosity and purposefulness. At the end of an hour and a half, they were still going strong. They broke the right half of the crater into smaller pieces and assigned them out for analysis. This time, Larry got a chunk. At 10.30, the usual quitting time, they showed no signs of getting tired. A parent's car honked in the driveway. Another parent stood silently by the door. We agreed the project would continue next week. Three days later, I got a call from a mother, one I'd never talked with before. Her voice was incredulous. What's the secret? She's been working on your project all the time. She's not eating or sleeping. She should do her homework like that. I felt on the defensive. My purpose wasn't to have them work at home. Don't apologize. It's great. It beats TV. You should hear the phone calls back and forth. When we met again, the kids had Tycho worked out as far as they could take it. And then without being steered, I didn't want to do that. Most of them had done work during the week. They'd met in small groups once, eight of them together. They had questions. I tried to answer objectively. It had to be their thing. A young eye, other things being equal, is better than an old eye. Their minds were less cluttered with prejudices. And they already knew about light and shadow about the, and the tricks they play and the difficulty in analyzing ground seen through a lens or in a photo. They began that second meeting, composing a letter to the administrator of NASA. And if a camel is a horse put together by a committee, the first draft of that letter looked more like a weird mythological creature. But they knew it was bad. They backed off and groaned, then retreated to individualism. Larry took over and rewrote it to cut out the rambling and duplication. Somebody else sharpened the fuzzy thoughts, and another kid tried his hand at making it sound as though it had been written by one person. Finally, a girl took some of the testiness out of it, and when the evening was over, they had a letter which wasn't too bad. I asked them to sit on it for another week before sending it. They agreed heartily. Two weeks later, they mailed the letter with an attachment in which they described the phenomena they saw. The letter exactly as it was sent, reads as follow. To the Honorable James Fletcher, the Administrator of, Na of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration in Washington, D.C. Dear Sir, On August 16, 1967, Lunar Orbiter 5 took a picture of the crater Tycho. We think this is one of the most beautiful photographs ever taken. The work which went into Orbiter 5 and taking this picture must make you feel very proud. But all you did was have this picture stuck in a big tub with thousands of other pictures. You did not tell the American people anything about the picture, except for a few technical details. Technical things like where Tycho is on the moon and where North is and how Tycho is considered to be young by scientists. It has been six years since this picture was taken and other pictures of Tycho too. One of us called your news offices and found out there are some other pictures of Tycho. 
taken on different days, and they are bigger than the 8 by 10 we have been looking at. These pictures are in your Space Science Data Center at Goddard. The man in the news office said we could go out there and look at them if we called a day in advance and said we wanted to look at them. So it goes on for a while, and these kids just start talking about a bunch of shit. Anyway, moving on. A week later, Larry and I were adjusting the spotting scope on a 6-inch reflector and had a chance to talk. I think that business about the bug-eyed monsters, remember, and the blonde Venusians, well, it, it wasn't fair. I continued to listen. You can make anything look silly if you try hard enough, if you pitch enough curves. He tightened a thumbscrew and thought for a few seconds. A few nights ago, I saw this old western on TV. There were these guys, they were selling colored water from the backs of wagons, pretending it would cure a million diseases. They called them quacks, I said. Old-time medicine men. Yeah, quacks. But suppose every time someone mentioned medicine... I started talking about quacks. That would be pitching a curve, I said. If someone talked only about the mistakes doctors make, obfuscation, I said. Obscuring the real issue, which is not the small percentage of mistakes. If there's a circus lion loose in my town, you can count up all the alley cats and show that 98% of the animals seen were plain old cats. I get it, Larry said. Obfuscation. 2% of them is still a lion. Nothing can change that. The kids got back a PR-type response to their letter a couple of weeks later. Thank you for your interest, that sort of thing. They put it on their bulletin board, annotated it with their comments, and that was the end of that project. Except that my faith in the young eye and brain was bolstered, and Larry and I became good friends. The photo of Tycho is shown as plate 1967-H-1179. Below are the phenomena reported to the administrator of NASA by the kids. The drawings are mine. I dropped two of their features as being questionable. One, the feature which first caught Larry's eye, the one getting the first billing in their letter, was the octagonal covering with a glyph on it. A glyph is a symbolic figure or character intended for communication, incised or otherwise carved or depicted. It is sketched below. In the photo of Tycho, it is on the inside rim at about 2 o'clock. It is clearly an octagon and appears to be a covering with long pole-like objects sticking out from underneath the edges. An oblique view across the Mare Crisium toward Mare Tranquillatis shows bridges and uplands between them. The bridge raid crater is Proculus. There's a shitload of these photos. I'll try and post these on this episode so you guys can take a look at this stuff. There is a startlingly clear glyph on it. The symbols should not, however, be linked to our letters. Simple glyphs representing intelligent communications from widely disparate civilizations would no doubt have overlapping and similar constructions. Now, running straight across the octagon from corner to opposite corner are three barely perceptible ridges, giving the impression that a cover material has been stretched tautly over horizontal poles. Moving down the rim, we can come to a long, wide section, which is totally artificial. Not one square inch of the high albedo section of rim, roughly a tiny bit above three o'clock, is natural. It looks like this. There's an illustration below, and it says this. Note the left edge. Although superficially rough, there is a design to it, and an overall straightness. The right edge has some interesting objects which seem to be suspended from the artificial rim. Note the perfect scalloping on the edge of one of these objects. Scalloping is kind of like spooning something out. 
to the right of the oblong section of rim. To the right of the oblong sec of a rim is an obviously constructed cylinder. Markings at either end are evenly spaced. Number three, on the bottom inside rim is a large area which duplicates the phenomena in the Lubinicki bullialdus area. Description is difficult, but it is obvious that they are man that they are manufactured. The bottom Tycho rim looks like this. The possibility that this structure represents solar energy mechanics should not be ruled out. The huge ovals could be flat panels soaking up energy and transferring it to apparatuses which convert it to electricity. The oval objects in both instances cited thus far have cilia-like protuberances spaced at even distances on the underside. The portions are seen in absolute perfect segments of circles or ovals. Now there are evenly spaced nodes on the rims of these objects, and this bottom rim section is where most lunar transient phenomena are seen in Tycho. NASA has a chart showing where the most prominent LTP flashes, flares, uh, glows, obscurations are seen. Exactly in this section is an X on the chart. Number four, there are several hemisphere-shaped coverings. One prime example is on the right-hand edge on a level with the octagonal covering. Uh, I guess it's worth mentioning that there is a photograph. There's a number to each one of these photographs, and there's a description for each one of the photographs. For this particular episode, I will put up every one of these photographs on Instagram and on Facebook. I'll label them, and you guys can listen to these articles. You can listen to this episode, and you can look at these photographs while you're listening to it. Back to this book. Number four. There are several hemisphere-shaped coverings. One prime example is on the right-hand edge on a level with the octagonal covering. There is another directly behind it. My first inclination, and it's still a strong one, was to accept these as being natural occurrences, swelling of the ground from magma eruption, volcanic action, or freezing. There are domes formed naturally by one or the other of these actions. The kids picked these hemispheric coverings up right away. And I, just as quickly, rejected them for inclusion in this chapter. But some detail in one of them gave me pause. Magma swelling would result more probably in a shape like half an orange laid flat. These objects, judging by the light and shadow, are more like a quarter of an orange. The object on the right has a cross weave going around its edge. There are two possibilities here, both indicating intelligence. The coverings are artificially created, or ground was pushed up through natural means, thereby exposing an artificial weaving, or matrix, already on the surface. Number five. NASA provided a blow-up of the highlands, area to the north of Tycho, which is plate 20, 67-H-1651, a most remarkable object, one we shall see several times in different parts of the moon, showed up. The object is always tilted at the same angle. It always has two nodes on the top. It always has a cord, quote-unquote, or filament, leading to something else. Is the bell-shaped object flying? One cannot tell. And he has an, he has an illustration of what he's discussing. And imagine like a scroll with some thread attached to what appears to be a loosely shaped trapezoid with a rectangle on top of it. You have, and there's no context. You can't really put anything to this. We close with an object which brings smiles to the lips of the most conservative people. It looks like a miles-long screw, which is plate 9. This configuration 
can theoretically result when lava is forced through a spiral opening, but the location of this screw beneath broken crust casts doubt on that explanation. Also, it is interesting that a dome-like construction sits on the crust nearby. Screws could be used to hold together parts of the skin of the moon. They could be used to pry up the crust, a lever of sorts, like Archimedes screws used to drop water in old sites. They could be examples of exposed underground constructions. Now, remember, there is evidence of vast destruction on the moon, even more than from meteoric impact. Let me take a break on that real quick. There is a fuckload of destruction on the moon. And ironically, a lot of the destruction on the moon is on the side that faces us. So if you think about that, if that side of the moon faces us all the time, how did it get fucked up? It shouldn't be fucked up. As it's been explained to me, the results of the, the flood that the Bible talks about, which actually fucking happened, is a result of that. And that's what caused the, the marks on the moon. You see... The way it's been explained to me is that the Earth was like a hazy kind of planet. It was overcast all the time, had a lot of water vapor up in the high atmosphere, like, like Venus is like right now. And something happened, and all of that water fell to Earth. And when you have all this water pouring into the deepest, darkest nooks and crannies of the Earth, eventually it's going to make its way to the mantle, into the magma areas. And when cold water hits a hot source, you get explosions massive explosions like earth shattering explosions entire like it's like volcanoes of pressure and uh, there's speculation that when this occurred it was like a shotgun blast to the face of the moon that's why it's all fucked up looking right now back to the book now whatever else the occupants of the moon are doing certainly two of their functions include operation salvage and operation cover up other uses can be imagined the occupants may even be reserving an especially large screw for presentation to any earth person mustering up enough nerve to lay claim to our quote-unquote moon we can respond to the question posed by the title to this chapter by asking another question what in fact is not going on in Tycho? and did you know vladimir lenin lenin once said all human conceptions are on the scale of our planet they are based on the pretension that the technical potential although it will develop will never exceed the terrestrial limit. If we succeed in establishing interplanetary communications, all our philosophical, moral, and social views will have to be revised. And that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. When you live here, when you only live in one place, you only have context for one place. I mention these Dune books all the time. Let me give you a really good example. There's a bunch of planets in this fucking series. One of them is called Dune. It's Arrakis, and it's fucking has no water on it, very little, if any. It's it's a gigantic desert planet, and the people that live on this planet they have zero context of a planet that may have a lot of water, like an ocean on it, like ours. They don't know how to swim. They don't have a culture of swimming. They don't have technology around water. They don't know what boats are. They don't even consider it diving. Anything, any technology related to water, any any culture related to water, any type of society, civilization, technological innovation, anything, any ideas, any romantic fucking notion of water does not exist on a planet that has none. So if you take what I'm going with, you can kind of, you can kind of guess what I'm driving at here. Your planet dictates everything. Now, that being said, that's the end of chapter 10. Next week, we're going to be reading chapter 11, okay? It's going to be fucking awesome. All right, and uh, 
that's it for me, guys. All right, I'll see you guys next week, and uh, this is going to be fucking awesome. This is Dave Grave, Zero Brain Podcast. Be sure to like, follow, share, subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You guys have been awesome. I'll see you guys next week. Peace.